good to have you worshiping with us, celebrating water baptism, sharing in this series, Overcomer. We're going to be talking this morning about overcoming fear. I can remember when I was a little boy, I don't remember exactly what age, but you know those stories in your family that you've told them so many times because they're kind of funny that they become legendary. You're not even sure how much of it's true, but you've told it so many times. Anybody have stories in your family like that? So there's a story one night. My dad, he worked on a, uh, a boat in the Mississippi River, so he would be offshore uh, for two or three or four days at a time, and it would be my mom and my sister and me, and you know we just sort of operate like that as, as he would come and go in those busy seasons. So one night, for some reason, we, we were out late, and we didn't intend to be out late, uh, but, you know, having everything on lockdown in our family was very important. We, I was kind of raised in a lot of fear, and uh, so we came in. It was after dark. We forgot to leave the porch light on, all the little safety protocol we used to do. The lights were off in the house. The light was off outside. The windows, you know, the uh, blinds were all open, and the creepy dark house just sat there by itself, and so we pull up in the driveway, and it's all dark. You can't see anything. We go inside, and uh, we, we, as soon as we walk in the door, um, we hear this loud noise. And all of a sudden, uh, every, my, I was little. My sister was a little older than me, then mom. We all said, did you do that? No, did you do that? No, did you do that? No, did you do that? And everybody said, no, nobody did that. And we're standing there in the pitch black dark, and there's nothing. There's no fly. There's nothing. And all of a sudden, my mom panics. And bolts out the front door. And just leaves us there. Bolts out the front door. And she doesn't stop running until she gets to the neighbor's house. And my sister panics, not knowing what to do. And she grabbed my hand. And she trailed with me over there and drugged me across to the neighbor's yard where my mom was standing like this in the yard. And when we, when we got down to the bottom of what happened, my mom had an umbrella in her hand. We walked in the door she threw it down. And forgot she threw it down. Because she was afraid. Now, if you know my mom, that is literally the only example I have from my entire life where she wasn't present. Never, 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 never had she ever abandoned, neglected. She was present in every moment of my life, all my life. It was completely out of her character. Never done anything like that since then. Never done it before that. But she did it because she was afraid. Now, how many of you know somebody who's done something outside their character because they were afraid? Seven of you. Maybe it wasn't personal enough. How many of you have ever done something outside your own character because you were afraid? Oh, you don't know anybody, but you've done it. That's incredible. How, how incredibly honest you are this morning. If, if you're going to be an overcomer, you're going to have to learn how to overcome fear. Now, fear is one of the most powerful motivators in all of our life. And trust me, Satan will make sure you always have plenty of it. Because it is limiting. Now, what is fear? What is fear? Let me give you two or three things real quick if you're taking notes that fear is. First off, fear is a thief. Fear will take and take and take and take from you and drain you until you're absolutely empty. And then on the very morning that you get one shred of encouragement, it will come and steal that too. That's what fear is. 
People with fear cannot love deeply. And the reason they can't is because it risks rejection. People who live in fear can't do anything great because greatness risks failure. People who live in fear can't powerfully serve because that is to risk rejection and mistreatment. People who live in fear can't dream wildly because dreams risk disappointment. Fear steals the destiny and the moments that God has for you. It will simply come in and take them. Fear is also a false prophet. Fear will always lie to you. Fear will always tell you the worst case. Fear will always preach death and destruction and doom and disappointment and discouragement and sadness and isolation. And it's always going to be this way. And things are never going to change. And what are you going to do when? Fear will always. Fear is a false prophet. I'm convinced that fear is an absolute magnifier of negative things. It makes negative things look worse than they are. i got to be honest with you, maybe not always, but can I say to you, almost always, fear makes things worse than it actually is. Go ahead and face the thing, and you'll find that the fear of the thing was worse than the thing itself. That's what fear does. Fear is a false prophet. Fear is also a bully. You don't decide when you're afraid. Fear decides when you're afraid. You don't decide what you do. Fear decides what you do. Fear limits you and cripples you and pushes you around and controls you. And fear stops us from ever becoming the people that God intended for us to be. So I want to share a story with you this morning. And with that in the backdrop in this story, Jesus asked his disciples who were on a boat in the middle of a storm, Why are you afraid? Now now before we look at the story, let's just back up for a minute and deal with that question. That is a loaded question. Why are you afraid? Have you ever noticed that one of the things that you don't have to teach children is to be afraid? They figure it out on their own. All you need is a creepy pile of clothes in the corner and the lights off. And that old laundry will turn into the form of a monster. Or there will be somebody in the closet. Or there will be something under the bed. You can try your best and they'll still be afraid. Somehow, without anybody teaching them and without being told, children intuitively know that the world's not safe. Now, that's easy to dismiss. Oh, everybody's afraid of the dark. or Everybody's got childhood fears. Everybody goes through. But we outgrow that. Do we outgrow that? Because we come to adolescence and the scary stories now aren't so cute anymore. They look like horror flicks. Now, kids believe that if you're good, you'll be safe. But teenagers have grown to the point where they're not so naive. They realize that whatever it is that's out there that's evil doesn't really care if you're naughty or nice. And those childhood fears of the pile of clothes in the corner raising up and becoming something become fears of being accepted, fears of rejection, fear of making the team, fear of making the grade, fear of graduating high school, fear of picking a career, fear of growing up. And then those fears roll right over into adulthood and they get a little bit more serious. Still filled with fear, but our fears changed. It's become less fantasy and more reality. The nightly news is our horror show. Our culture preys on fear. I don't know if you ever noticed this. The systems of this world prey on fear. Politicians motivate with fear. You vote for that one over there and you'll lose this or you'll lose that. 
Well, we'll be, you'll just be electrocuted for the next year on the news cycle and, and the political ads that are coming. Fear, 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 because fear motivates. That's why Satan uses it. And I don't know if you ever noticed those uh, incredible uh, science shows that come on. They'll take one person out of 150 million who has some kind of rare something, and they'll explore it, and you'll be laying there in your bed thinking, I've got that. I know I've got that. I knew something was wrong. One person who ever lived has ever had it. A lot of our, a lot of our parenting is based on fear. You have parents in America today who are literally driving themselves insane and in the ground. Why? Because they're, they're making every practice and every game and every event and every this. And they got their kid and everything compulsively drive, 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 drive. And where's it coming from? A fear that if I don't do it all and I don't do it perfect, I'll be a bad parent. Fear. And we fear terrorist attacks and financial meltdown and job loss and random violence and gangs and health care and super virus and swine flu and school shootings and a shortage of honeybees and the world's running low on helium. I don't know if you knew that. And the polar ice caps are melting and the world's running out of forest and the, the, the earth's going to flood and heart disease and mad cow disease and SARS and West Nile and Ebola. <sighs> We're afraid of being sued. We're afraid of finishing last. We're afraid of going broke. We're afraid of the mole on our back. We're afraid of the newest competition. We're afraid of growing old. And most of all, we're probably afraid of failure. According to Report Magazine, ordinary children, listen to this, today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 50s. The average child... If you don't think that's true, a couple of weeks ago, we were trying to help someone here at the church. They needed psychiatric care, and we were trying to get them admitted into a facility. And I want you to hear this. Every bed in every facility in the greater Birmingham metro area was full. Not one. All taken. This isn't child's play. It's serious. So when Jesus asked... Why are you afraid? Have you seen the storm? Do you know what I go through? Matthew chapter 8 tells us the story. Verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Uh, note that word followed. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now you would think it would say his disciples followed him and a rainbow appeared and everything turned out uh, lovely and Jesus' disciples avoided every storm of life. Why would following Jesus turn into a storm? I thought following Jesus fixed everything. I thought it helped you avoid every storm, but this just wasn't any storm. This was a furious storm, Matthew said. And there's a very important word that he uses there. If you look it up in the original language, it is seismos. Seismos is where we get our word seismograph. It's where we understand how to measure earthquakes, seismologists. This is a storm that would shake you to your core. There's only two other times Matthew used this word in his entire book, that is about maybe 24 chapters, only two other times. One was, he said, when Jesus died, Calvary shook. Seismos. And when Jesus was resurrected, the grave tremored. 
This storm was so furious it could only be compared to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You ever had a storm like that hit your life? Just shook you to the core? A crippling disease? The tragic death of a loved one? A painful divorce? A job layoff? The relentless suffering of one of your own children? And it just creates inside of us. I don't know if you know this. Jesus' followers battle with fear too. Now here's what I want you to remember this morning. If you've got a pen, write this down. It's not the absence of storms that separate us. It's the presence of Jesus. It's not that once you sign on and you board the boat and you follow Jesus, you just signed away every problem that life will ever throw at you. Problem, life's still going to throw problems at you whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. But when you're a follower of Jesus, your life might not be absence of storms, but it will be full of the presence of God. But now here's what's interesting. In the middle of this storm, this seismos, Jesus is sleeping. Now I just want you to be honest with me for a second. There's nothing worse than being in a room with someone who's sound asleep when you can't sleep. Right? It's frustrating. You just want to go over there and wake them up. Why? Because misery loves company. And I almost guarantee you there's at least one person in your house that believes that if they're up, everybody ought to be up. Poke them, elbow them. My dad was that guy. Don't know why. He'd get up in the morning and he had no mute button. The news was on full blast. The cabinets were slamming, bam, 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 pots. And he would eat cereal louder than any human I ever heard in my life. Louder than a horse. He, he would go in there and he would eat the cereal. And you could hear the spoon, clang, 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 clang. I thought, just kill it already and get it over. And then he would suck the milk. Now, what are you doing to the cereal? So loud. Anybody got anybody in your house like that? If I'm up, everybody ought to be up. Well, the waves are coming over the side of the boat, and Jesus is sleeping. Now, now here's a question. Does it ever look like in your life Jesus is doing the exact opposite of what you think he ought to be doing? Does it ever look like that to you? looks like that to me sometimes. When I think Jesus ought to be doing something, and I look over there, and he's got his head on a pillow asleep, it's frustrating. I feel like he ought to be working on this. There have been a few times in my life I've just said to God outright, when are you going to do something about this? How long are you going to wait before you act? And usually the answer I get when I ask that question looks something like Jesus sleeping on a pillow in a storm. He's working. It just doesn't look like I thought it would look. He's asleep. Because he has perfect trust in his Father. His work is to sleep because he trusts. Or his work is to trust, and since he's doing a good job at it, he can sleep. Not how I thought it would look. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. So whichever one couldn't handle everybody being up is the one they sent in. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. The fear on the boat had reached a fever pitch and they couldn't stand it anymore. And they scream out, wake up, wake up, we're going to die. And, and if you look this same story up in the book of Mark, he actually adds a line, a question that's not in Matthew. He says, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you care that we're going to drown? And they could have said, don't you know there's a storm? 
Think about the question they asked. They could have said, can't you stop the storm? They could have said, what do we do in the storm? They didn't question Jesus' knowledge or his power or his wisdom, but they did question his love. And I guarantee you when you suffer, you're not going to doubt God's power or wisdom or knowledge. You will doubt his love. That's the temptation you'll fight. We talked last week about this. And here we find it again. When things go bad, that's what our temptation is. When the fears rise, that's where our temptation leads us. So who is this God that is sleeping in the storm? He closes his eyes and our eyes fill with adrenaline and grow wide. If Jesus allows storms, even on the boat we followed him on, does he care? And usually fear is what drives us to doubt God's love. I remember when our youngest son, Tyler, who was five, uh, was, was admitted into the hospital. It was, it was just a, uh, a very tornadic time for us because we didn't know what was going on. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is an unbelievably difficult thing to manage. It's a, it changes your entire lifestyle and lifestyle of your family. And, and I can remember looking at him up there, a little five-year-old in the big adult hospital bed with an IV pumping in his arm. And nurses coming in every hour, checking his sugar and giving him a shot and checking his sugar and giving him a shot. And the reality dawning on me that this is what your life is going to be like. This is what his life is going to be like the rest of his life. He's going to have to do this routine you're doing in a hospital bed. You're going to have to do it while you're doing everything else. And, and uh, it was an overwhelming time. After about two days, uh, the doctor came in and said, he's good, we've got his sugar under control, he can go home, except you're not ready. You can't take care of him. You don't know how to take care of him yet. You have to stay here so we can educate you. And we stayed two or three more days. And, and around the clock, they educated us. Trainers would come in and talk us, and they... Finally, one lady looked at the eye and said, okay, it's going to take about six months to learn this. I said, good. <laughs> then I don't feel so behind. And I can remember after two days, finally getting to go home. And the first time I went back in our house, it was empty. Stacy was at the hospital with him. Nobody was home. And I walked in, and I can remember just throwing the stuff in my hands down on the bed and, 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 just, and just saying, just crying Tears coming out my eyes and just saying, why does he have to have this stupid disease? Why? Why? Give it. I remember looking up at the ceiling saying, God, give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take it in the eye socket. Give it to me. But don't give it to him. He's five. I can remember that moment. It just electrocuted me. And Jesus was sleeping. And so... I showered, and I got myself together, and I went back to the hospital. And I went and saw him, and he was doing his thing. And so I went to walk down to the playroom at the other end of the hospital. And when we walked down into the hallway, he reached up to grab my hand, and I did something I had never done. I pulled my hand back. And I went, why did, why did I do that? Why did I pull my hand back? And I realized what it was. It was fear. 
when he was diagnosed with something that was completely unknown to me, it felt like to me that day he died, it felt like I lost him, and I was afraid to reach back out because I was afraid I'd lose him again. And I shoved through my mixed up emotions and I put my hand back down and I grabbed his hand because I didn't want him to notice. And I never did it again. But that moment was overwhelming. That moment was filled with fear. Fear is a perceived loss of control. When life starts to spin like a -a tilt-a-world, out of fear we accuse and we doubt. Verse 26, Jesus replied. He's awake now. (laughs) Maybe you would have rather him slept. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Did you catch that? You of little faith is the one who is afraid. Faith and fear don't coexist so well. There are only two motivations in life, faith or fear. You can't have both. In our lifetime, we will experience both, but in any given moment, one's going to dominate. And you can decide. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And so this story uh, wraps up with Jesus commanding the wind and the wave to calm down. The great seismos has met the great creator. And 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 the sea becomes like a gentle blanket. And the disciples ask, what kind of man is this? Fear is one of Satan's greatest weapons. He cannot defeat you, but he can talk you into giving up. And he will just electrocute you with fear until it discourages you to the point that you just get off the boat. You just turn your back. You just turn away I don't know if you've ever dealt with chronic fear and I don't know if you've ever tried to help anybody that's dealing with chronic fear but it's nearly incurable (laughs) nearly now I want to close by giving you three things that I have learned that will help you overcome fear now maybe you define it as stress maybe you define it as anxiety Maybe you define it as worry. I'm suggesting to you the root of those are always fear. Fear's a big ugly word that we don't use. Because nobody wants to be afraid. Because everybody wants to be independent and and in charge. But fear's the root of all those things. So here you go. To be an overcomer, you have to learn how to overcome fear. And here's three ways that you can do it. Number one, God's presence. Now, what made this story different than every other caught at sea story is Jesus was on board. (laughs) That made the difference. Jesus was on the boat. In the end, there are very few effective treatments for fear other than Jesus' presence. Now, by the way, I want to say this because I thought this for years and I was wrong, and I'm willing to bet some of you think it. Why is it that when we're afraid and we quote Scripture at our fear, it does not work? I don't know if you noticed that. Quoting scripture at fear 
oftentimes is very ineffective. Try it with your children. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And they say it, and they say it, and they say it, and you say it, and you say it, and you stare out the window, and if you're honest, the fear didn't go anywhere. And why didn't the fear go anywhere? The fear doesn't go anywhere because the, the Bible is not a magic book. It's not a book of spells. It's not a book of incantations. Well, what I say? Am, am I am I saying the? I'm not demeaning God's word. I'm saying it's not a potion that you cook up and you throw at life's problems. But now watch. It's never intended to be used separated from a relationship with God. The relationship with God will make the word alive and powerful. But you can't just throw the scripture out there and it's a tool we use to do our own bidding. It's not a fortune cookie. It's scripture. And scripture by itself, every solution to fear has one thing in common. It flows out of relationship with the Father. And so really there's only one solution for fear. It's having a relationship with the Father. And that relationship will cure the fear and calm the fear and subside the fear. And it will make scripture quoting powerful. When you have fear, your fear is telling you one of two things. Either it's telling you your relationship with God is weak. Or it's telling you you're trying to make it through this battle by yourself. And that's why you're, you're shocked with intense fear. Because either your relationship with God is weak or you're trying to do this without Him. And you can't do it without Him. You can't take this battle, you can't take this, this problem on by yourself. So you have to do it inside relationship. This week I was reading Psalm 23 and I was reminded of this very truth uh, when David said, uh, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I will fear no evil because I know Scripture. No, I will fear no evil because you're here. Your presence is with me. Here's the second one. God's love. God's presence and God's love. First John 4.18, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Watch this line. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love has not finished its work in your life if fear's still in it. Love drives out fear. The more full of love you become, the less full of fear you will be. A fearful person is not a loving person. They may serve, they may, be, they may appear unselfish out of compulsion panic. But they are not. They are not free. <laughs> and they're, and they're, they're not free of fear. They're, they're, we can serve in fear. The one who fears is not matured in love. The more God's love you have, the less fear in your life. So uh, in Scripture, Jesus gave, I don't know if you know this, Jesus, what do you think Jesus' number one instruction while he was on earth? The number one instruction that Jesus gave, it wasn't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It wasn't love God. It wasn't serve your neighbor. The number one instruction that Jesus gave in the New Testament was do not be afraid. Because he knows our tendency toward fear. He says, don't be afraid. You're worth much more than sparrows. Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Don't be afraid. Just believe and your daughter will be well. Take courage. I am here. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me and you will be where I am. Don't be afraid or troubled. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. 
And there's a few other hundred. I think he's trying to tell us something. I know that living in human skin makes you vulnerable to fear. But you need not be afraid. Here's the last one. God's gift. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. This is is one of my, actually these two, my two favorite verses that I have learned to embrace in the principle and truth of Scripture in my life that has helped me overcome so much fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. What is God's gift? Panic is not from God. Fear and worry is not from God. What is the gift of God? The gift of God is power and love and a sound mind. God wants to help your thinking. He wants to make you more powerful. He wants to make you more loving. God's given you a gift and it's not fear. So here's what that means. If it's not from God, you don't have to accept it. Just take your permanent marker, put a big X on the address and put return to sender. Not at this address. So this morning, as we, as we close, I wanted to look back at that verse, Matthew 8, 26. He replied, you have little faith, why are you afraid? Faith and fear don't coexist. Let me say it uh, maybe another way. Faith and stress, faith and worry, faith and anxiety, they don't, they, don't, they don't coexist well. It doesn't mean that you won't feel fear or stress or worry or anxiety. You surely will. And I, and, I, and I will, and I do. It means that we overcome them with faith. We overcome them with the presence of God and the love of God and the gifts of God. We overcome them. And we can overcome them with those things. So this morning as we pray, we come back to this moment where it's time for us to respond. And you either will act this morning in fear or you will act in faith. You will either act in fear or you act in faith. I, I, I pointed out this morning when we were doing water baptism, remember Adam who we baptized, Adam Gillum, who we baptized first, who I said his blog uh, was on my Facebook page. His story is so powerful, I wish I could tell you all of it, but you can read it there. But I did have a quote from him that I wanted to show you. He says, I've grown up in church. My whole life I heard Jesus calling my name but I had too much fear to answer his calling. He told me, he said, I, I, this, is, this isn't a, this isn't a, a jab. It, it was just true for him. He said, I sat in the balcony because I didn't want to be, you know, anywhere in the front. I didn't want to be anywhere near anything. And I didn't want to be in front of anybody. And I didn't want to take any steps. And, and he gave, you can read the whole story. He gives example after example after example of how fear held him back, listen, and stole the destiny and the moments that God had for him. 
And this morning, the baptism you saw was a huge deal. Because it was him saying, no more. No more. You'll not take another thing from me. So would you stand with me this morning as we go to prayer? I want to ask our prayer team to come. And I, I want to ask you if you'll close your eyes today. You know, maybe you're like I was when I got bad news. Maybe you're like the disciples who were in a storm. Maybe you're just at a place in life this morning where you're experiencing stress, anxiety, fear. And those things can manipulate you and limit you and, and um, distract you and take you off the course that God wants for you. They can hold you back like it did Adam for years. He said, I grew up in this church. I was born and raised here. And I held back for years and years and years because I was afraid. Every eye closed this morning, you say, man, if I'm honest, there's some worries, there's some burdens, there's some stress, there's some fear, there's some stuff going on in my life, and I need God's presence, I need God's love, and I need the gift of God in my life today. Would you just lift your hand and say, hey, pray for me when we pray. Yeah, I see your hand. Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes, in the back, in the middle, the front, all around, yes, yeah, in the balcony, yes, see your hand. Man, I'm just, if I'm honest, I, I, with every eye closed, I just want to say this to you. If you can't bring your fears at church, where can you bring them? This is a safe place. This is a place where we bring, the, it's not a place to hide the burdens, it's a place to bring the burdens. We bring these things and we lay them down. And so with, with nobody looking around, our prayer team is here. You lifted your hand this morning. In just a minute, I want you to come and I want you to, I want you to move to prayer. You're either going to hold back in fear or you're going to move in faith. I can't make that choice. Only you can make it. And God won't make it for you. Only you can make it. You're either going to say, by faith today, I bring this burden to Jesus' presence. And I'm telling you, when you engage in prayer, things are going to change. Things will start changing, I promise you. When you bring that to prayer, when you bring that need, that's when things start to change. So, Lord, this morning, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you have a plan for our life to be overcomers. And I thank you today that you are overcoming fear in this very moment by your presence, by your love, by your strength, by your gifting. You lifted your hand. I want you to come. I want you to come for prayer and just say, would you agree with me? Would you agree with me? From the balcony, we'll wait for you. Say, look, do, would you agree with me? You don't even have to define it. Say as much as you want or as little as you want. Would you just pray with me? I just want somebody to agree with me this morning. That God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. I lay this burden down at the presence of... Maybe this morning you're not even a believer. Maybe you're not even a Christian, but you say, you know what? It's time for me to get on the boat. It's time for me to lay that thing down. It's time for me to lay that burden down. It's time for me to lay all my burdens down. And if you want to come, we want to pray with you this morning. We 
want to pray with you. We want you to meet. Let your fear meet Jesus' presence. And watch, watch, begin to melt away. Begin to melt away. As the worship team begins to softly lead in this song, would you just, would you just give your fear to Him? Whatever it is in your life, would you just speak that thing out loud and say, Lord, this morning I give this to you. God, I lay this thing down at your feet. I don't want to walk out with this heaviness on my life. I give it to you today.